Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. It's Tuesday, March 30th. General Motors' cancellation of the EV1 was a tragic mistake. So much so, says Sandy Monroe, CEO of Automotive Engineering Consultancy Monroe & Associates, that had the company kept the program alive, Tesla might not exist today. Instead, Monroe believes that the automotive industry sat on its hands too long when it comes to electrification and that today... Incumbents like GM, Ford, Stellantis, and others are five to ten years behind new players like Tesla and Rivian, as well as electric vehicles being designed and produced by the Chinese manufacturers. Monroe does believe the tipping point to electrification is near. As soon as 2028, and aligned with some automakers recently announced intentions to go all electric around 2030. He also believes that tipping point will first happen in Asia, then across Europe, and finally in the U.S., noting China specifically and the government's long-term support of electrification as part of its economic strategy. What's driving the push to electrification? In Monroe's opinion, it's young consumers, who he says are passionate about environmental and social issues and known to be a generation that base some purchase decisions on a brand's support of those issues. These kids are going to be 25 years old in 10 years, and none of them are going to want to drive a gas-powered car, says Monroe. What else is driving the future of electrification? What is Tesla doing to help shield the company from certain supply chain risks? What's the most significant roadblock on the way to electrification? We've reached Monroe & Associates CEO Sandy Monroe at the company's headquarters in Michigan. Sandy, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you, sir? I'm well. Everything here is golden. Yeah. Thrilled to have you on the show. Um, so let's hop right in. What's your assessment of the current EV market? We've seen a lot of news, a lot of pronouncements about going full EV and product lineups. Are we approaching a tipping point to EVs? Well, in uh, 2019, I made some very unpopular speeches, and I did it basically around the world. I gave the same speech in Japan as I did in Korea. I did two in China, another one in Singapore, one in Qatar, and a couple in uh, Norway, and then Britain, and then back home. And in those speeches, the unpopular slides were the ones where I said that the crossover point in sales between um, EVs and HEVs uh, versus ICE is going to be 2030. Um, all the uh, folks thought I'd lost my mind. And um, and uh, now I'm saying 2028 because I believe that things are going to happen a lot faster. I mean, I, I just saw uh, the um, um, Stellantis um, report saying by 2025 they want to be a, a totally electric vehicle. I'm sure that they're going to have HEVs in there as well, but that that kind of sums it up. And then when I was in Norway, actually when I was in China, I was supposed to be the keynote. And what wound up happening was uh, the keynote turned out to be Chairman Xi. He uh, interrupted, uh, you know, I, I couldn't say anything about that. So anyway, he interrupted with a video and he basically said, um, I, I, uh, I know that this is a big EV conference and I, 
I'm sorry, but I want to interrupt and tell you that you got to get, uh, you know, got to get moving a lot faster. Said a lot of other things, but that would eat up 20 minutes all by itself. At the end of the day, I, that was the way things started off. And when I was in Japan, um, I had, uh, 500 people in a room and then there was like two other rooms that were being shown the video and audio. And I can tell you the groaning when I put that slide up, it just, uh, it just, it blew them all away. So at the end of the day, I know that there's a, uh, I know that there's things that are happening a lot faster than everybody wanted. And I believe that, uh, we're going to see by 2028 a huge, uh, difference in the way people are looking at how they're going to buy cars in the future. Do you think that tipping point is going to happen equally around the world? Are there, is the U S yeah. going to lead? Is the China, is China, no. Europe? Where, where is this going to happen? Where are we going to see this first? The lead is going to be the Far East. China definitely is going to be number one. I'm guessing that, um, in number two position, it's going to be, um, it's going to be Korea and, uh, and Japan. Number three, you're, you can't just say Europe because some European countries are going faster than others, like Norway. Um, but, uh, but Europe will be in general a lot faster than the United States will be last. We, uh, we, uh, sat on our hands too long. Um, uh, it's very difficult to get change in, um, in the automotive world. And so I consequently think that we're going to be behind the curve, except for Tesla, of course. Tesla all by itself is like uh, 10 years ahead of everybody. Well, between five and 10 years, depending on, on, uh, how fast they move on some of these other new technologies. But right now they're, they're at least 10 years ahead. Let's, we'll talk about Tesla in a few minutes, but let's stick with, with U.S. and the tipping point. Do you think that the current administration's policies around climate, energy, clean tech, you think that'll accelerate adoption in the U.S.? Do you think that would move us up from your, your forecast of us being last in the world and, and accelerate that a little faster? I think that, uh, Biden, Biden's already said that he, he intends to throw between three and four trillion dollars at this, uh, at this issue. Um, and then he's also talking about tax credits and um, all kinds of other things to bolster the economy. This this kind of uh, reaction is kind of what we saw in China. China also did the same thing. They uh, they definitely uh, Chairman Xi definitely uh, put forward his agenda, and that would be in 2019. So there's a few years between. 2019 and now. So I, I think that we've got some catch, serious catching up to do. Now, can we do it? Well, the United States has always worked better when, uh, when there's a disaster, when we've, uh, you know, basically sat on our hands and then somebody bombed our country or whatever. And then, then in all of a sudden we start moving. So it may be that they can catch up and maybe some of Biden's spending will help, but but I, people also have to remember too that some someday you got to pay the piper and taxes are going to be huge. So let's turn a little bit to specific OEMs. Let's turn about the product portfolio: GM, Volvo, Jaguar, VW, others. They've all announced they're going all electric. You know, coincidentally yeah. in the time frame that you outlined, twenty thirty ish timeline. Um, why yeah. now? What's what's causing this? I think they woke up. It's as simple as that. They just woke up. They, they've been sleeping. They've been sleeping thinking that, you know, the, uh, the, the future is just, uh, is just a dim, uh, reflection of the past. And that's, that's kind of wrong. 
Um, I, I'll tell you what, uh, everybody's saying, oh, this is going to happen and we got to save the polar bears and whatnot. But that's all baloney. Think about it. The 15-year-old kid right now is going to be 20 in 2025. 20, Do you think for a second after watching polar bears that can't find ice cubes to stand on, and uh, all the other things that, that are happening. Do you think for a second he's going to buy an ICE vehicle? Not a chance. What you have to do is you have to sit in and listen to what the 12-year-olds, the, the 10-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, what are they saying? People forget this. They think, oh, well, you know, we're, we're always going to have a big V8. Are you kidding me? How old is that guy? 50? 60? That, that isn't going to happen. You have to think about what is going to happen in the marketplace. And then what can that 20-year-old kid afford? And, um, and that's why I'm big on three-wheel vehicles. But I think that, I think that the, uh, I think that the, the GMs, the Volvos, the Jaguars, the VWs, the on and on and on, they just kind of like woke up. The kids today are really down on, on, uh, on ICE vehicles. It's not true. A lot of the, so what they say is not true, but it's perception is reality. So. It's kind of an evolution of this, what we heard in the you know, 2010s of 16-year-olds delaying their desire to get a driver's license on right. their birthday. Um, and so, you know, to your point, consumers today want different things. They expect different things in terms of social impact from the companies of who they choose to do business with. And and maybe electric vehicles is that push to appeal to those younger, more tech savvy yeah. consumers. Um, it, it becomes curious to me as we think about that. You know, isn't there a, a something to be said for continued efficiency of internal combustion and engines? Uh, the low fuel prices that we enjoy in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world. Isn't there something to say that, hey, there are the, these technologies are still viable. They, they still are able to meet consumers' uh, desires, interests who might be focused on what's the impact of my vehicle, what's the cost to operate. You know, is, there, is that a factor in, in this push to EV? <clears throat> All right. So sitting on our floor right now are five diesel engines. Um, they would be for uh, bigger uh, pickup trucks. We have four, I think, four uh, Class 8 transmissions that would uh, be attached to a, a, a big, you know, a big rig. Um, we, have, we have four gasoline engines that are sitting on the floor. And I, I don't know if you're aware of it, but I'm an engine engineer. So I, I can tell you that squeezing any more out of the engine or transmission is going to be very, very, very difficult. So that was the first thing. I, I mean, we're, we've pretty much uh, run the last, uh, the last drop out of that. The second thing we have to do is we have to look at, um, we have to look at what the, um, what the social climate is like. And, um, and the social climate is saying, yes, I want to, uh, I want to have a vehicle that'll be clean and uh, I don't want to pay anything for maintenance. Well, guess what? Electric vehicles don't have maintenance, period. There's none. None. I mean, zero. I've been talking to people who have literally a million miles. One guy's got a, a fleet of 20-something vehicles that he runs from Los Angeles to Las Vegas continuously. He's replaced ball joints and tires, obviously, brake pads and things like that. 
he hasn't done anything on this powertrain. Nothing went wrong with his battery. He's still got, like, I think he said something like 89 or 90% of his battery is still, still functioning uh, properly. And he's got a million miles on these things. I'm sure we could spend an entire hour talking yeah. about the service side, right? That that higher yeah. margin, that higher profitability within the retail network. Uh, you know, yeah. we probably could spend an entire entire hour talking about the the implications of that. But let's stick with Tesla. You mentioned in the past, and you've mentioned a couple of times on on today's conversation that traditional automakers are behind Tesla. I think you mentioned as much as the ten as ten years. Why do you say that? Well, we've taken apart a whole bunch of vehicles. We've taken apart almost everything that any of the guys that you've got down here already, the GM, the Volvos, the Jaguars, the VWs. And then we also have taken apart quite a number of Chinese, Japanese vehicles and, and kind of, we know EVs and we know what they've got. We, we know exactly where they are. And what we've done is we've compared them and there is no comparison. I mean, um, I've done several different things on our little YouTube channel and, and I've talked to about, Hey, look at this. Here's all the cables that GM has got on the bolt. Here's what we've got here on the Tesla. Here's what we see over here on the Porsche. This is what Tesla's got. And when you compare the electronics, the wiring, the battery technology, the output, the efficiencies, the electric motor technology, on and on and on. I, I mean, I mean, Tesla's developing their, they, they don't go to NVIDIA anymore. They, they have their own, um, uh, chips that we can't quite figure out. These things, these chips, and NVIDIA has to give you three chips where Tesla can do it in two. These, these kinds of things are, are, are staggering. And you've got to remember, Tesla's been around here for a while. They've been doing this for how many years? 10, 12 years? Making electric vehicles. Everybody else is kind of like a newbie on the, uh, on the, uh, on the block. It's not, I mean, if, if GM would have continued with the EV1, if that wouldn't have been crushed, and that was crushed by Wall Street, I believe, and I don't want to get into that. But anyway, um, that was crushed on Wall Street, I think. And if they would have kept that going, if they could have continued to, uh, to look at battery technology, look, we, we started out with lead acid, then we got uh, metal, nickel metal hydrate. But if they would have continued and put in uh, lithium ion or something like that. I mean, just think about how far ahead they would have been. But instead, I mean, they fired Bob Stemple and a whole bunch of other guys and, and, uh, went back to, hey, good old fashioned, what do I call it? Ice vehicles. And, and quite frankly, that's, that was, uh, that was a, a pivotal point that GM could have basically dominated this market completely. Who else was, nobody else was thinking about that. It was a, it's a tragic mistake. You talk about, you know, Tesla's ahead. Now we're seeing this emergence of the Bytons, the Neos, the Rivians right. of the world. How do they stack up? I mean, are they are they the next Tesla in a position to leapfrog even, you know, the market leader as you describe them in Tesla? Um how do you how do you view these new emerging players? Okay, so we've had a chance to see pretty much all the vehicles you just mentioned. So, um we know what's going on there. Um, I can tell you for sure that, uh, the big guys in town, uh, BYD, BJ, uh, uh, Beijing Automotive, their, uh, their EV group, BJ EV, um, uh, Geely, all these guys, they're going gangbusters and they're ahead, way ahead of, uh, 
of uh, their U.S. Uh, uh, counterparts. So I believe that um, the Chinese are going to invade just like Japan did in the 70s and early 80s. And, um, and I'm going to tell you right now, and I'll be right, <laughs> right a lot. I'm almost always right when it comes to this stuff. GM will get smaller. Ford will get smaller. Chrysler will get smaller. Volkswagen will get smaller. Everybody's going to get smaller. Everybody's going to get smaller because China's going to come in and they make very good cars. This is not like, uh, you know, uh, China junk. And, um, uh, this, they, they make good, they make good vehicles. I've driven them a lot. I spent prior to 2020, I spent three months a year in China. I can tell you for sure they do good jobs and we help them, uh, do those, uh, those, uh, those new vehicles. And I can tell you that they are a mile ahead. And most of the batteries, they come from China. And most of the battery technology is then are going to come from uh, Japan or Korea or China. We missed the boat. We, we've been sitting on our hands. And I know that GM is going to put up a battery plant, but that technology, to me, is two years old. By the time it gets going in five years, what am I going to do with that stuff? We should be looking at things like... Um, uh, we should look at st- solid state batteries and, um, there's a new, um, a new type of, I don't recommend it for cars, but certainly I'm going to be talking later today with, uh, with another fellow who's come up with a, um, a solid state hydrogen, uh, manufacturing. Um, I'm totally blown away on this. I've seen it when I was in Australia. I saw it there and I'm going to be talking to them today about what they can do. And that would be for, uh, VTOLs and, um, air, aircraft and, and big trucks. Probably not for cars. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Monroe and Associates CEO, Sandy Monroe. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. 
So let's stick sure. with with Tesla. Let's stick with Wall yeah. Street. You know, stock is in the 600s. Uh, right. Earlier this month, the, some analysts forecasted it to go to 3,000 by by 2025. Um, traditional OEMs, as we know, are nowhere near those valuations. Right. Um, you know, why not? And what's it going to take to convince Wall Street that that traditional OEMs are are are, you know, are valued in the way that they they value Tesla? Okay, so first off, I don't think it's Wall Street that's really driving this. I think it's the general population. And again, that's one of the reasons that I said, um, hey, you know what? It uh, looks to me like 2030. Because people are pumping so much money into what they see as the forerunner uh, into Tesla. I, I don't know if you knew, but I, I also spent uh, about four hours with uh, with Elon Musk in uh, at SpaceX. And I, and, and that was videoed as well. But that thing, that, that conversation with him told, confirmed everything I, I wanted to know. He's not playing the game the way Ford, when I worked there, uh, General Motors, Chrysler, VW, Toyota. He's not playing that game. Not at all. I sat with him in a design review on a rocket engine for two and a half hours, and he knew everything about that engine, the materials, the processes, the machines that they were using, and they were trying to correct things, and he was taking suggestions even from me. I, I'm telling you flat, this is not what happens when you're inside of the boardroom with a bunch of CEOs. It just doesn't happen that way. Now, you, you mentioned Rivian. I, I went through their vehicle. They are definitely going to be a huge contender. Um, I've been to, I had a look at uh, the folks at Faraday. That's a, that's a car that uh, it's going to be for the exclusive, but that's a car that's going to compete uh, and probably beat uh, Jaguar, or sorry, not Jaguar, um, Bentley, Rolls Royce, and Maybach. They, they better hang on to their hats. And then we didn't talk about what I think is going to be the next big market, which is three wheels. I mean, think on this. One of the companies that we're working in is good for a thousand miles between charges because it's solar. If you're below the Mason Dixon line and you buy anything else, you're a fool. And, and there's, you know, if, if that car meets your needs, but that's, that's the kind of stuff that's going on right now that we don't, we're not paying attention to. We, we need to pay more attention to the fringes because that's where things are really going to happen. And Tesla was the fringe, but now Tesla is the center, the focal point. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's another factor is these micro mobility, these different ways to get around two wheels, three wheels, uh, right. certainly powered by a lot of the same technology. I, I, I don't know if you yeah. agree, but on a smaller scale than than big yeah. four wheels. But yeah, absolutely. I think the, the notion of consumers having multiple choices on how they get from one place to another is another factor that is going to mm-hmm. to impact um to impact all of this. And it's funny. I want to go back to what you, you shared about uh, your time w- with Elon. Um, you know, we had him here on this show. Uh, Jason mm-hmm. interviewed him, uh, you know, within the last year, and it was interesting because if you go back and listen to that, the conversation started with uh, looking back at when he joined the agenda in the World Congress uh, Automotive News World Congress stage. I think about five years prior, and Elon's question was was interesting. He actually asked Jason a question. He said, "So how'd we do?" Right? If, if you go back and look at what I said on stage in today's conversation, how did 
what's my what's my scorecard? What's my report card? Because to your point, I don't pay attention to that was was in effect what he said. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that's very interesting is a reflection of that approach that you just described. Yeah, he um, he is definitely always looking for everyone else's opinion. And uh, and when I was in there, one of the guys basically challenged him <laughs> enough that if uh, if I would have been at Ford, that guy would have lost his job. Um, but he definitely said, Milan, you're wrong. And he explained why. And Elon sat there for a second and, and, uh, and he said, you know what? You're right. Let's move on. I, I apologize, um, for wasting time here. Let's keep it going. I was shocked. He is a different kind of guy. He's, he's totally different. And quite frankly, people say, you know, the company is just run by themselves and you don't have to know what you're doing. All you have to know is manage and on and on all these other, uh, Harvard platitudes. These things don't, really work when you're up against, you know, a brilliant general. Let's shift our focus a little bit to supply chain. Um, sure. What's the impact on the chip shortage on the EV adoption curve? Do you, th- you think we're, we're going to see a slowdown in EV adoption production because of the sh- chip shortage? I do not. Um, uh, there's, uh, uh, I think that um, this is again where we, uh, <clears throat> outsourcing for me is not a good idea. I've never been a fan uh, everybody says, oh, yeah, well, just look at Henry Ford I. Well, guess what? When Henry Ford I was running the running Ford Motor Company, he lost because he wouldn't change vehicles. He wouldn't change into something new. He didn't lose because he was vertically integrated. And if you look at Tesla, Tesla is almost always vertically integrated. And we've been outsourcing and trying to find that cheapest possible whatever. And consequently, all these things have either wound up in Taiwan or Korea, or China. And now, guess what? They need a lot of chips now. And guess who's going to come in second? Because why? We shut down because we wouldn't buy from them. I mean, cheapskates, I have a book, Cheap Always Loses. And I'm telling you flat, that is exactly, exactly what happened. We wanted to be cheap. And so we wound up in a situation where our chip manufacturing has gone completely overseas and there's nothing here. I will tell you that uh, there's a bunch of people that are uh, trying to change that right now. And they're trying to figure out how they can bring uh, the uh, the equipment that you need in order to produce chips and bring them back to the country. Because we talk about automotive. Think on this. Uh, what kind of chip requirements are, do we need for the Department of Defense? So we've given away all of our chip manufacturing, you know, in the name of saving a penny or two. We have basically walked away from mining because, oh, that's dirty. We don't want to do that. And what we've done is we've painted ourselves into a corner that is going to be very difficult to get out of. Um, I know that people are scrambling right now. I know the DOD is for sure um, for things like uh, lithium ion, uh, or sorry, lithium. Um, where, where are we going to get it? Luckily, we have a nickel mine, the huge nickel mine in uh, in Sudbury in Canada, but it's owned by the Brazilians. Uh, but but uh, I mean, really and truly, we we uh, we have done some really stupid things in the name of saving a penny or two. So chips, I think, will be a problem. Um, they'll slow us down, but I don't think they'll stop uh, too much. Uh, GM had a big production stoppage. But um, but I believe that um, I believe that there's enough diversity in the world that we can make things happen and uh, and keep uh, uh, keep production going. So let's let's 
maybe broaden that a little bit and go back to some sure. of the things around the U.S. leading, U.S.'s competitiveness on, on a global scale to to produce and sell um, uh, uh, electric vehicles. <laughs> you know, what are the when you look at the chip shortage and and you look at what you know, for all intents and purposes, is going to be a significant wrap up of ramp up of of battery manufacturing. Where are the supply chain issues? Where are the supply chain vulnerabilities and risks when it comes to making batteries? Yeah, well, right now the biggest uh, the biggest um, issue is batteries. Um, that's uh, chips. That that problem will come for a while and whatnot, and it'll be a little bit of a hardship. But batteries, right now, there isn't any. You can't buy any. So we have a lot of smaller companies that are trying to buy batteries and they can't get them. I'm hoping that uh, that uh, some of the companies that are making solid state will come online soon. Now there's one company up in Montreal that uh, that uh, uh, manufactures uh, solid state batteries for Mercedes in buses and things like that. Uh, but uh, by the way, that's the other thing. There's about a half a million e-buses that are floating around. So I think that, uh, I think that that is going to be, uh, helpful if we can do, if we can make that happen. And then, of course, there's QuantumScape. QuantumScape is, um, uh, uh, here in Michigan, uh, at least right now. Um, and they can, um, they can definitely help us out a lot. Um, if they can get up to speed a little bit faster, they're, they're predicting something like 2025. I'd like to see them get in at 2022, something like that. So that people don't start building factories that mm, don't uh, that that you know that 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 will never meet uh, never meet production volumes. So one thing occurred to me when we talked about consumers a little bit uh, before yeah. and batteries, et cetera, et cetera, in yeah. in their their interest in buying, you know, perhaps from a social impact uh, perspective. But if I'm a consumer, then the numbers still matter, right? And and if I'm buying a battery today or a vehicle with a battery today, and I'm I'm going looking for resale value and I'm looking to sell it in three, four, five years, are these vehicles going to retain that resale value? Or are we looking at old technology when these things hit the used market? Hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay, so there's a guy, uh, there's a couple of these guys that have sent me some information and um, – what they're doing is they're taking vehicles that are, um, you know, they say that the batteries are no good anymore. And they're bringing them in and they're reconditioning them and they're going from 40% up to 99% in one cases, in some of these cases. So I think that there's going to, like we, we talked about servicing a, servicing a, um, an ICE vehicle. I think that there's going to be servicing that uh, where people have done a bad job uh, charging or, or running their batteries down to nothing and things like that. These, these battery vehicles can be fixed, not with a $22,000 battery, but with $5,000 worth of, of, of corrections. And, and like I said, I, I watched the, uh, I watched these guys crank it and I, I'm totally blown away just by doing some minor things that quite frankly, I never heard of before, but they, they, they they did some isolation programs and figured out what cells were bad and on and on and, and made it happen. So I don't think that we're going to see a tremendous drop um, in um, in what I would class, uh, classify as first class products. The thing that I'm thinking is going to be worthless. How are you going to dump um, uh, a nice vehicle in 2030? How are you going to get rid of that? <laughs> 
who's going to want it? Yeah. So the I high mean, valuations we're seeing right now and used because of the the short supply of new vehicles is perhaps a blip, right? Uh, you, right. You, you look ahead 10 years and we might actually see a, a you know, unprecedented bottom to the used vehicle market. Well, what we have to do is look backwards. So if we look uh, backwards to, uh, say, 1908, 50% of the cars were ICE, 50% were electric. What happened? Oh, yeah. Um, a boss Kettering came along and invented the, the electric starter. What happened? Nobody wanted an electric car. What happened? Well, we had a war and we needed iron. So that's where all the electric cars went. They melted them down and turned them into, uh, into bullets and bombs and whatever they needed. At the end of the day, that I think is what you're going to see happening with this switch. So we went from, uh, horses and steam to ice and, uh, and electric fighting it out, ice winning. And now it's just another switch. We're going to go to, we're going to go to EVs and, and uh, ICE vehicles will be as passe as a Baker Electric. Wonderful. Sandy, thank you so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. Super interesting insights. I appreciate the, the extra time, and I hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored. Thank you. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, March 30th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back tomorrow.